Hi ladies and welcome to the Amazing Bible Dot Book Club. I am Julie Callio, your host, and thanks so very much for taking time out of your busy schedules to tune in with me today. If by chance you want to contact me, you can do that at theab.bc.pc at gmail.com. Today we are looking at James chapter 2. Now that we've covered chapter 1 and have gotten a taste of this book, it makes me think of a quote I once heard. It is not the parts of the Bible that I do not understand that's the problem. It's the parts of the Bible that I do understand. That is the problem. James is one of those books. It's pretty clear and extremely convicting because it shows us what people who have faith in Jesus act like. I fall short, as we all do, because of our sinful nature. But salvation is a process of becoming more like Christ. So the question is, am I improving in these areas versus a year ago? Have I grown through the testing of my faith, which comes through trials? Is my faith resting on Jesus or on wealth? Am I living more in truth today? Am I a better listener? Do I talk less? Is my anger in better control? Is my heart more tender to people in need? Am I closer to holiness or worldliness? Do I know God's word better? We discussed yesterday that traditionally the James that wrote this letter was Jesus' half-brother, the leader of the Christian church in Jerusalem. According to Dr. Allen B. Stringfellow, he is sometimes referred to as James the Just. Chapter 1, verse 1 says, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes who are scattered abroad. Greetings. James didn't describe himself as an apostle or even as the brother of Jesus, but as the slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. He acknowledged that Jesus is Lord and that he is also his slave. Then he writes to the 12 tribes who are scattered abroad. One thing to remember from our reading of the Old Testament, Jacob, whose name is from the same root as James, had 12 sons from four different women. Jacob's name was changed by God to Israel and his 12 sons became the 12 tribes of Israel. Genesis chapter 28 through 32. Now, if you also remember, when Joshua took the promised land, Levi did not receive land, but Joseph's two sons who were born in Egypt each received land, Ephraim and Manasseh. This is found in Joshua chapter 13 through 21. After Solomon, the kingdom divided into two sections. The northern tribe was called Israel, which included 10 tribes. And then the southern two tribes were called Judah, which was where Jerusalem was. This is found in 1 Kings chapter 12 and 2 Chronicles chapter 10. The northern tribe, because of their sin, was completely wiped out by the Assyrians, who purposefully sent off the Jews to other nations. 2 Kings chapter 17. They are called the lost tribes of Israel. But Judah and Benjamin lasted a little longer until Babylon came and completely destroyed Jerusalem, burnt the temple, and took exiles to Babylon and other places. This is found in 2 Kings chapter 25 and 2 Chronicles chapter 36. 
Israel was never again 12 tribes. So why do you think, James said, the 12 tribes scattered abroad? I have two thoughts. The first, the number 12 is a complete number for the Jews. And so it showed the readers that if they were a Jewish Christian, they were a part of the complete family of God. I also think it reminds the Jewish readers of their heritage, that the 12 original tribes were all dispersed. And yet God was faithful to those who were faithful to him. God brought them back from the exile. So it was a word of encouragement that God will continue to be faithful to them while they were in exile. This letter encouraged the readers to faithfulness. And Stringfellow said the theme of the book could be entitled The Proofs of True Faith in Christ with James stressing the product of faith. In chapter two, we are looking at faith and works. I said yesterday that this book was the last to be included in the canon of scripture because it does not stress the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and because it seems to stress works instead of faith. Chapter two contains some of those difficult passages found in James, which some people say contradict Paul. So let's see. James chapter 2 verses 1 through 13. My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in a good place, and say to the poor man, you stand there or sit here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well, but if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who shows mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Again, we see that James calls them brethren. One reason I think James does not focus on how one becomes saved is because he's writing to people that he knows are saved. He speaks of faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, and glory belongs to God. So he is exalting Jesus Christ as Lord and God. He then deals with the issue of partiality and people of faith should not be like that. One thing I've noticed is that when we show partiality, 
we also show our, quote, superiority. Then he gives the example in the synagogue of favoritism toward the rich people versus the poor. He explained we do that because of our evil thoughts or motives. James said it is the poor that God chose to be rich in faith. Again, faith is important to James. Warren Wiersbe said, the way we behave toward people indicates what we really believe about God. We also see again that instead of it being a crown that goes to those who love the Lord, it is the kingdom of heaven that is promised to those who love him. James speaks poorly about the rich. Then in verse 8, James quotes the royal law from Leviticus chapter 2 verse 8. Jesus quoted it in Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 and 40. And Paul quoted it in Romans chapter 13, verse 8, and Galatians chapter 5, verse 14. Love fulfills the law. If you remember in chapter 1, James spoke of the perfect law, the law of liberty. Here it is the royal law and the law of liberty. Plus, he mentioned that we are not to blaspheme the noble name which we believers in Christ bear. He also stressed the kingdom of heaven. He is stressing that we are in the kingly family of God. When we studied the Old Testament, I shared that my Old Testament professor used to say that the Jews never spoke negatively about the law. It was God revealing himself to them. It revealed who he was and what he was like and what they needed to do to approach him, unlike the pagan religions who had to guess. The law is not bad in itself. It is just that we can't keep it because of our sinful nature. But once Jesus came and died, who was the ultimate sacrifice, there was no need to do sacrifices anymore because our debt has been paid. All we have to do is believe in him. We need to have faith in Jesus. James said what Jesus said and what Paul said to love people, all people, as ourselves fulfills the law. But when we show partiality, it shows that we can't keep the law. He explained that even if we keep all nine of the laws, but we break just one, that still makes us a transgressor of the law. James calls the law, the law of liberty, the law that sets us free. Ladies, the more we walk in obedience to Christ, the more we are set free. The more we do our own thing, the more in bondage to self and sin we are. Verse 13 is a key verse for judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. God knows how we treat others. Now, verses 14 through 26. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. 
You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and they shudder. You foolish man. Do you want evidence that faith without deed is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Now, the story of Abraham offering Isaac is found in Genesis 22. Now, if you remember Abraham's storyline, it is in Genesis 15 with the promise God gave Abraham that he believed the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness. If you remember, the writer of Hebrews made this clear in Hebrews 11 with his hall of faith. Hebrews 11:17. by faith, Abraham when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. Faith came first. The action proved his faith. Rahab's story is found in Joshua chapter 2 and chapter 6. The writer of Hebrews used Rahab as an example of faith too in chapter 11 verse 31. By faith, Rahab the harlot did not perish along with those who were disobedient after she had welcomed the spies in peace. The writer of Hebrews gave a whole chapter of people in the Old Testament who by faith did amazing things. Now with James, we have two, the patriarch of the Jewish faith and then a sinful Gentile woman. Both are praised because of their faith. It reminds me of the saying that it is a level ground at the foot of the cross. We are all sinners except for Jesus and forgiveness is offered to anyone who will accept it. We are not to show partiality among people. In the Lord, Rahab is just as special as Abraham. Now, some of the difficult sayings in this passage is when James says, can such faith save him? What good is that faith? The key word here is such and that. James calls that faith dead and useless. I like how Stringfellow explains it. So from this, we see that faith justifies the man and works justifies the faith. John Calvin explained it. It is faith alone that justifies but faith that justifies can never be alone. Warren Wearsby explained this passage and shows us the different faiths. One, there's a dead faith, faith without actions. Two, there's a dynamic faith, faith with actions like Abraham and Rahab. And then three, there is a demonic faith, which is shown in verse 19. You believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe and shudder. Demons believe in God. They even have fear of God and shudder. 
If you remember in our readings of the gospel, it was the demons who knew that Jesus was the son of God and they declared it and submitted to him. But they are beyond salvation. In Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 46, Jesus talks about the final judgment and he separated the sheep from the goats. And verses 41 through 43 say, Then he will say to those on the left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Jesus then said, To the extent that you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. In this teaching from Jesus, he makes it clear they enter heaven or hell by what they did or didn't do. What we believe, what we truly believe comes out in our actions. The other phrase in verse 19, you believe that God is one, you do well. This comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6 verses 4 and 5 and it is called the Shema which is the Hebrew word for hear and it goes like this. Hear O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Jesus said, this is the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. These two commandments fulfill all of the law and the prophets. This is found in Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 40. Mark chapter 12, verses 29 through 31. And Luke chapter 10, verses 27 through 37. So ladies... What does your actions say about your faith? Is it dead or dynamic? Let me reiterate, we do not do good works to get into heaven. We are all transgressors of the law and we are never good enough to get in. It was only Jesus that was perfect. Only Jesus, the son of man and the son of God, fully human, fully God, that offered the ultimate sacrifice for our sins and paid the atoning sacrifice for our sin. If we believe, if we love him, we are never the same and it spills out from our lives. If you have never accepted his gift of forgiveness, the Lord has given us today. So today, if you have heard the voice of God, if you feel the nudge of the Holy Spirit, please don't harden your heart. Instead, let's be women who hear and obey. Until next time, and thank you so very much for listening.